Weekend Show with Ken Kidney. Good morning, good evening, good night and welcome to the Weekend Show. My name is Ken Kidney and I have the great pleasure of being joined by my hilarious co-host Garrett. Say hello to the loyal listeners, Garrett. Good day. Good day indeed. I'd doff my hat if I was wearing a hat. No, you're not wearing a hat. You're not, you don't look good in hats. Hey. I can moving, rock, moving on. I, I can rock panda hats. Yeah, I'll give you that. This week we talk our favourite sitcom and sitcom characters. But before we nerd out, Gar, how was your week? Space, Ken. The final frontier. The vast, infinite universe that makes me feel small and insignificant and in that I don't understand anything. What's brought this on? I've been reading National Geographic. Of course. Yes. The 20 of them I have backlogged in my room. I have uh, quite a back- backlog in my uh, catalogue myself. I'm down to 18. Pretty good. Yeah, that's steady progress. I'm trying to do one a day and get it read by the end of the month. But space, Ken, it's huge. It is. I was reading about like black holes. And, you know, before you enter a black hole, which is called the event horizon, by the way, the, the very the very edge of a black hole before you go in is the event horizon. Garrett, do we have to mention the name of the horror film that haunted me as a child that we talked about in our Halloween episode? Is that... Oh, now you know where it comes from. Oh, we're you, learning. You we're learning it, as we do the podcast. You know what an event horizon is. But yeah, it's the very edge of a black hole. When you're sitting on the edge of, an, of the event horizon, right on the edge without going in, for every second that passes there, a thousand years passes on Earth. How do they know that? Because science. Science, Ken. Just... No. <laughs> no. No. Ken is denying science. I'm more of a creationist myself. Right. God did it. That's the answer to everything. I'm surprised they haven't claimed God did it. They don't do that enough. It's like, no. yeah, there's lots of planets, but God made them too. It's kind of the progression, uh, progressionist's view that, uh, you know, yes, there's science, but God made science, basically. Yeah, it's easy. To, it's, it, that's a pretty easy thing to retcon. It's you a, know, evolution is real, but God did it. Exactly. So I think there's a great quote that said, uh, uh, science explains how and religion explains why. Yeah, I don't mind religion. People so, hate religion. God did it. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> but it's to do with gravity, apparently. The the. the when gravity is, is stronger, time moves slower, and when it's we- or weaker and it moves faster, or vice versa. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Can't wait to do your research. Yeah, I I read it, and then I forgot a lot of it, and then and then it's gravity. It, it's due to gravity. Gravity is stronger than all of us. Do you have any, any more interesting space facts? Well, well, if you were to put a clock on the top of a, a skyscraper and a clock on the bottom of the skyscraper, the top on the clock of the skies, top the clock on the top of the skyscraper, that's a tongue twister. Say that ten times fast. We'll go. We'll, we'll move slightly faster than the one on the bottom. Science just—it's just, it's just it's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Stop doing things I don't understand. It's, just, it's like it's like staring off into the void, going "Hello, darkness, my <laughs> friend." Which is appropriate because we're speaking about podcast. Uh, we are speaking about podcasts today. Yes, we are on a podcast, but I meant to say we're speaking about sitcoms today. And that transitions to Arrested Development. Yes. Though so speaking of space and its vast wonderfulness, Ken. Yes. Indeed. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Before we get started on sitcoms, well, Doctor Who has sitcom elements, so you know it's yeah. not cheating. Uh, we recently had uh, the second part of uh, the Zygon adventure called the Zygon Inversion, and it was a very good first part, but we had. We felt we had to talk about the second part. Yeah. 
It was it, it it was one of the best episodes in the history of New Who. New Who. It's it's probably definitely Capaldi's best uh, episode. His shining moment. Um, it's it's probably the beginning of him taking over as one of one of the best doctors of the modern era. era I think mm. he's taken a claim to best doctor. You think he? Uh, I think he st- stands up there with the new doctors definitely. But in terms of all time, he could he could even. Um... He, he's he's second now in new doctors. He's overtaken Matt Smith. You think so? But like this, this is his defining moment. This is his everybody lives. This is his standing in Stonehenge, shouting at all the aliens. Or but what was t- uh, Tennant's defining moment? Uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> the very end. It's probably the thing he's most remembered for. Yeah. Uh, one or one of his defining moments is one of the bad things he did on the Water Water of Mars. Mm. But yeah, this is this is Capaldi's defining moment. His ten-minute monologue on why people shouldn't go to war. It's just like it's because you know he he's been to war and he nearly made a horrible decision. Uh, and he, he did make the horrible decision in the first place, and then they undid it. <laughs> yeah, but he he just he just he lives with it every day, and it tortures him. So you could really feel the that like this guy has actually been through this. You know, he's actually felt the pain of of basically killing an entire world. Or having that decision in his hands, uh, I mean, um, one of the the interesting thing about Capaldi's Doctor is that he, like, I think, a, a good Doctor encapsulates elements of all the previous Doctors, and that's one he does extremely well. He kind of he he seems modern, but he also ha- feels like a throwback to the the older classic Doctors as well. And this was his his moment to to shine, and he didn't let us sit down. Uh, Peter Capaldi, I, we won't spoil it too much because. It is fantastic, but basically the fast, the last fifteen minutes of the episode is uh, as good, or if not better, than any new Who uh, moment, including David Tennant, who had quite a few moments. Yeah, he's given Tennant a run for his money, can. And uh, in terms of all time, I think like uh, time will tell. I think uh, it's definitely one that's left a, 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 an impression on me. But it all depends how long he stays in the role and, and what um, and what uh, happens subsequently. But uh, it is a highlight for him so far, uh, and even more foreshadowing of, of what we think is the inevitable conclusion that Clara is doomed. Clara is going to die. Clara is going to die. <laughs> it's just like basically he's in nearly every episode he's basically saved her from dying in this in this. Yeah, movie. and most of them have then ended with them just kind of glancing awkwardly at each other. As in like, like his obsession with keeping her alive and her obsession with. Uh, putting herself in danger it's, it's going to come to a head i think at the end of the season but time will tell on that but we can talk about that for a whole podcast so we'll put a pin in it yeah watch it uh there's only four more episodes uh so we might do a season uh, review at the end uh or maybe we might might wait until after the christmas special mm. and take everything in but uh sitcoms here let's get started as you may know by now gar and i are partial to the odd situation comedy link over let's get ready for some gushing I like comedies. Like I, I like anything that is like bright, breezy, happy, fun, not bleak and dark and depressing. Even though Doctor Who this week was kind of bleak and dark and depressing toward the end, but it was there was enough light and happiness and jokes in the middle. There was elements of comedy to balance it, and that's what I like. I I don't I don't like a sitcom that's brainless either. I want one that has emotional moments and and challenges you uh, emotionally and even on an intellectual level sometimes. But you know, just twenty minute bite sized chunks of your life that you know whatever your your troubles are at home and that's that's kind of the, the quintessential american view of a sitcom 
whatever your troubles are in the real world or whatever you've got going on at work or your personal life, you can check out and and uh, and forget your troubles and live vicariously through these TV families. And because the, the American sitcoms generally tend to be more about those troubles, yeah, just with ridiculous human beings yeah. <laughs> at the center of it and augmented scenarios. Yeah, but I, I, the worst thing a sitcom can ever do is have its characters become caricatures of themselves. Yeah. Like, the, the the worst example of that is The Simpsons. Yeah. Because Homer Simpson in particular, in the latter series of The Simpsons, gets very mean. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it, fair enough, his stupidity was a kind of a def- always a defining part of his character. But it's, I always thought the kind of his kindness was, was always the undercurrent of that. Yeah. But toward the later seasons, he just became stupid and mean. <laughs> Doing stupid, mean, selfish things to serve his own end and then people hating him for it. And then he learns his lesson right at the end of the episode. That's not how it works, people. You can't just do stupid, horrible things constantly and then learn your lesson at the end and everyone's happy. This isn't Glee, Homer Simpson. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think The Simpsons, basically, the answer to that, it's been around too long. Yeah, and that that is a problem with a lot of these shows. Because, again, another thing that really drives sitcoms is character growth. Yeah, but the success of sitcoms drives them to to stay around longer than that perhaps they should their shelf life is shorter but you know the commercial value is more yeah so they keep going despite the fact that the creative uh, and entertainment value goes down so it's like a graph yeah as profits go up entertainment value and quality probably goes down it's usually a peak and yeah. then it, it, it dips usually four seasons I think. yeah just look at modern family for example which is a character which took its all its characters a very long way in the first kind of three seasons and yeah. then ran out of places to take them. And Phil Dunphy, uh, one of the better uh, conceived characters in sitcoms in recent years, he's just become a... Cl- you, said it, you said it yourself, he's become a parody of himself. Yeah, and that's the problem, because they, they, they've ran out of seasons, and generally the further you get into a sitcom, the more you have new writers writing it. Yeah. So they take what the old people did, and like, that's what worked, let's just do that, without any kind of the emotional groundwork that underpins it. Exactly, uh, and and I think Modern Family these days is relying more on obvious gags, uh, you know, uh, innuendos, stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Before they kind of they were very cleverly structured episodes in that they kind of set up the dominoes, and it's a simple format. They set up the dominoes, and then they'd fall, and and you know you'd have recurring jokes that would pay off at the end. Yeah, and you have these characters. They plot and they scheme and they come up with silly ideas, and then generally they foil themselves. And then, you know, they all come together at the end and have a big group hug and that's what it's all about. But uh, Modern Family's on six, six, seven? I don't even know anymore. It's six or seven, yeah. Uh, I would think that uh, it's not going to end because it's too successful. Mm. But I am getting towards the, the point where I nearly would give up on it. Yeah. As in, like, I, 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 everything that I liked about it is starting to go. And it's, it's basically living and dying on the performances of the actors these days. Yeah. Just like, just, just do Phil. Yeah. Ty, just go out there and do Phil. Exactly. But uh, let's let's uh, uh, start off with probably, uh, in recent years, two of, uh, of our favourite sitcoms. Uh, the first of which is Parks and Rec. If you only ever watch one comedy in your life, you're only like, I'm only going to watch one. I don't like comedy. I'm horrible and heartless, but I'll watch one. Watch Parks and Recreation. And we should say that um, it's one of those shows that had a six episode pilot season, which was kind of underwhelming in some in some senses. It had hints of what it became, 
but uh, it made some key changes between the first season and the second season, which like I remember watching like the first two episodes and like I don't I don't like this at all. It's just like a copy of The Office. Yeah, I don't, I don't that was know. the problem because The Office is is a very mean spirited show. And that didn't work for Parks and Rec. Because Parks and Rec was that kind of cynical, mean show at the start. Yeah. Rather than the kind of very warm, very heart-filled show it became. And Leslie Nope was basically a female Michael Scott. Yeah. And it just didn't work. Uh, Some of the key changes they made were uh, Leslie Nope became, rather than kind of dopey, she was just like fiercely independent and driven. And that's where her insanity came from. And her wackiness. And and that worked. That really worked for her. And Amy Poehler had much more... uh, uh, material to work with there she was really able to sink her teeth into that uh i think he also kind of augmented the roles of the likes of tom haverford uh and uh andy dwyer who, who was a mistake apparently he wasn't supposed to be in it for that long he was a guest star in the first season yeah and he was supposed to go away and then he was so successful that uh they kept him around, they kept him around. and now he's the biggest star in hollywood and then exactly so uh one of the things these shows do is create Big stars for Hollywood. It's, yeah. it's kind of a known... What Parks and Rec did really well is it took very funny people, you yes. know, the likes of Aziz Ansari and Ron, or, uh, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, and essentially just let them be extended versions of themselves. Yeah, and they left it very open to interpretation. And uh, you know, it wasn't a case of we wrote this and it's sacrosanct, it's, it's yeah. sacred. This is what the way you do it. They're very much open to input, and they wanted. Uh, the actors to 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 push themselves to to kind of maybe they'll do it as it's written a couple of times, but they'll always give them a chance to do it, uh, their own way, which is why they get the hilarious hilarious hilarious. I was gonna say, I've created a new word today. Go that's, on. That's a hilarious is a hilarious gag reel. Okay. <laughs> that's what it was. That's what I was trying to say. But, that that's how you result in Chris Pratt getting his dick out on set. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. If you've never heard that story, look it up. Uh, I think he tells on Graham Norton. Or, yeah. yeah. Basically, there's a scene where he showed up to Leslie's door naked, but he was wearing like one of those covering things, skin-colored cover things, and he didn't think he was getting a real reaction out of Leslie or out of Amy Poehler. So he, he actually pulled it off and he got the reaction he was looking for. But apparently he got a letter from the network saying, never do that again. Yeah, fairly understandably. Uh, but like, it's it's a weird thing because... Uh, Parks and Rec uh, was basically born of The Office. The mm-hmm. Office was Parks and, Rec, Parks, Parks and Rec's daddy. Yep. And then another successful sitcom, which we really like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, was born of uh, of Parks and Rec. So uh, all these kind of talented people are working together. And then, say, some writers from The Office got their own show. And then some writers from Parks and Rec got their own show. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's Michael like, Schur was responsible for Parks and Rec. And he's responsible for... Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, but he came from the office. He played Moe's. Moe's, uh, the cousin of Dwight Schrute, and he was an actual actor, writer on the the office. So we're going to, we're going to go through a few of these sitcoms in a minute. But sticking with Parks and Rec, Gar, uh, what do, what do you think makes it successful? What what earned its way into your heart? It, it takes its characters and lets them grow. Yes, you know where where you take Ron, who's this curmudgeonly old libertarian who sits in his office and hates everybody. And they slowly take him and uh, re- uh, in a way that feels like organic. They they make him care for his colleagues, and eventually he falls in love and has a family. And probably one of the strongest finales I've ever seen of, yeah. of, of sitcoms. But it's like Chris Traeger is just the guy who points at your face and says Chris Traeger and is obsessed with health at the start, but slowly he actually develops into a more rounded character. He kind of learns to let go and starts to live more. Yeah, 
Where uh, Andy Dwyer goes from like stupid buffoon to kind of very uh, well-meaning buffoon. <laughs> and, and serious entrepreneur. Yeah. And Tom Haverford is... is I, I actually like Tom Haverford's uh, arc most because he's a perennial business failure. Yeah. No matter what. Even at the end, he, he kind of comes across his successful restaurant business. And that collapses too. So like he makes success out of being a failure, basically. Yeah. Uh, it was a very strong cast to assemble, though. I'm yeah, it was uh, a miraculously strong cast. Uh, like to get all those people in one place for one show is is mind boggling. And one of the things it did, uh, partially aided by the internet, and, and and you know this is the dream for shows these days, is that. Ron Swanson became a cultural phenomenon via internet. And You're wearing internet. a Ron Swanson shirt right now. I am indeed. So like merchandise, internet memes. Ron, Ron Swanson is practically a religion these days. It's like Klingon. People follow Klingon or whatever. If, if you're not going to watch Parks and Rec, there are collections of just Ron Swanson. Because Parks and Rec generally had these like kind of 30 second character vignettes where okay. it's basically just a 30 second gag. Yeah. And based, people have collected all of them and they're on YouTube. Just so. Google Ron Swanson. What's your favorite Ron Swanson quote? Um, I think it's it's turn Chucky e. Cheese uh, use Chucky e. Cheese's model for national parks. It's like put in thirty cent, look at a duck. <laughs> I think my favorite one is like I like to say no to people. It dampens their enthusiasm. Or um, I like to call people the wrong name every so often, just so they know I don't care about them. <laughs> or like, or yeah, give me all the eggs and bacon you have. Now you may have heard, give me a lot of eggs and bacon. No. <laughs> or uh, a salad is the food my food eats. Yeah. There's a lot of Ron quotes. Ron Swanson uh, is the greatest man that ever lived. Yeah. There will be a whole podcast on him probably someday. Uh, speaking of The Office, as we said, office, The Office basically gave birth to Parks and Rec and has a, basically it's, it's the same kind of style. It's the fly on the wall mockumentary. Uh, but... The difference is that they actually paid off that mockumentary in in the end. It's something that you completely forgot about over the course of the nine seasons, I think it was. Uh, The mockumentary style where you just thought it was just a a vehicle for the comedy. But they actually actually brought it back into the story at the end. And you're like, oh, they actually are going to address that. And it made it a a great part of the end of the show, I think. Yeah. And uh, Modern Family does the same thing. It does its mockumentary style. But I don't know what the mockumentary is about. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, but um, Michael Scott, uh, you have mixed feelings about Michael Scott. I, I don't think, A, I don't think he's ever actually that funny. And I think he's always too mean. And deliberately mean. He's That's the Homer Simpson problem. It's not oafish, you know, oh, look at him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's deliberately mean. There's malice behind the Michael Scott character way too often. But like, there's kind of an indication that, you know, he's unlucky in love and he's lonely and he's never, you never kind of wins he never gets to win so like that's his own fault because he's mean except when selling paper but maybe that like it's because he was lonely that he kind of projects that kind of but they they do round him toward the very end yeah it takes them a very long time to round him well they wanted to get well it, it, it did get a very long run yeah but then it's just like oh look at michael michael scott saying outrageous things to people and being a buffoon it's like that's not funny unless there's a, an undercurrent of heart there yeah like I, I, the, the reason I enjoyed The Office is because I enjoyed the Jim, uh, Pam and Dwight kind of dynamic. Yeah. The Michael Scott character, take it or leave it. But uh, basically, Steve Carell was the only star of that show. A lot of them were unknowns until that point. Uh, you know, uh, Dwight Schrute played by 
uh, Rain Wilson and Jim Halpert played by John Krasinski. Uh, never really did anything before that. Yeah, and like uh, Parks and Rec, it's kind of spun off its own kind of little family of people. Like yeah. Mindy Kaling has the Mindy show. BJ Novak does stuff. <laughs> he writes on the Mindy show as well. Yeah. Uh, Mindy Project, I should say. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically they did the same kind of formula as Parks and Rec. They had a six episode pilot season. They kind of learned from their mistakes and they adjusted it. Like uh, uh, Kelly is quite a different character. Creed. Yeah. Um, Creed, is, Creed becomes a, a very different character. character. And we'll talk about him in our second segment. But um, one of the things that it, it, it did do very well was just um, strong premises that kind of played out over the entire episode. Yeah. Um, very talented team of writers. And uh, basically breakout stars that you wouldn't expect it to be stars like uh, Meredith and, and Phyllis and, uh, and Phyllis has gone on to Inside Out yeah, fame and, for her. and Creed and the like that they're, they weren't meant to be stars but everyone got the equal opportunity to kind of eventually shine. it's just like we've done everything with these guys let's just uh, go to the people in the back of the office and it's really interesting they just like they actually focused on these side characters where like in some sitcoms you might never ever learn their name yeah but these people became stars and like i think you can identify with that because i think we've all been a number somewhere yeah so, same thing happened in parks and rec with donna and jerry yeah who were just kind of side characters in the office in the first couple of seasons and slowly became characters of their own right i think we're interested in hearing these people's stories because we identify with them and we know we kind of know what it's like to kind of be that kind of person uh so the office i think uh uh, also had a very strong sort of finale, I thought. Mm. Uh, paid off some stories well in the end. Michael Scott got got, uh, got a bit more likable. Uh, Just a little. Did have, did have a bit of turbulence because uh, Steve Carell decided to leave and then they continued with the show for another two seasons. And uh, They replaced him with Catherine Tate and James Spader. James Spader, who, who was brilliant in fairness. Uh, We'll talk about him in a minute as well. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to... We're, we're doing a... We're Our second segment is going to be sitcom characters. So yeah. we're going to trying to dance around the characters. Yeah, we're trying to focus in on that at the end. Uh, but uh, nine seasons, some people think maybe too many. Mm. Um, I, I would agree with that. It, it got back to its best in the last season, probably because it knew it was ending. But it, it did lose its way for a while just because... Yeah. I once watched the whole season of The Office in a single day. Really? Yeah, I think it was season seven, all twenty odd episodes of it in one day. Yeah, and like it's not uh, typical of its origins because uh, the Ricky Gervais series only had like two or three seasons, I think. Yeah. So it's quite strange. Uh, any more on your list? New Girl. Yes. New Girl is an interesting one because it's already lost steam and it's only on. It's moving into season five now. Is it five? Yeah. Five. Yeah, season five. And it's already kind of lost lost steam. It did something I really dislike in sitcoms. Where I, I don't mind a will they, won't they. You know? Yeah, that's I, the kind of the crux of most sitcoms. Yeah, in most sitcoms there is two characters and you pair them up and they eventually fall in love. But once you pull that trigger, I detest when they go back. Yeah. You know, you spend... Because uh, they spent the first season and a half doing the will they, won't they with Jess and Nick. And they finally pulled the trigger and they got together and then eventually they broke up. And they still, and eventually they'll get back together, and it's annoying. It's contrived, and I don't like it. I'm guessing, I suppose they're trying to like most of the time. The sitcom starts with that, with them being apart, and the goal is to get them get together by the end. 
maybe they're trying to kind of do something different on that because that's become the archetype and maybe a bit, some people might think cliched mm. that the whole show is centered around this where they kind of maybe went there and then maybe tr- tried to show an aspect of human life where maybe things don't work out for a while and no you don't like it no i don't like it I, can I, you see where i'm coming from though I, yeah but it just feels like they're like oh what do we do now <laughs> Yeah. let's break him up <laughs> one of the things they did and I don't blame them because Damon Wayans Jr. has become hot property so they did bring him back in after after a happy ending ended it had no, it didn't have a happy ending though it got cancelled quite a sad ending but uh, I had one of those weird endings where they didn't know they were going to be cancelled so it was kind of an average episode it didn't really have a, a wrap up or anything yeah uh, but they brought in uh, Winston to replace Coach Playing what was, in essence, at the start, the coach character. He's developed into his own character now. Exactly. And um, we'll get back to him again. We're going to get back to all of these people. But it's just a kind of case of, it upset the balance of the show. Like, yeah. there's more people to split uh, storylines between. Coach wasn't that compelling in the first place. I thought it was kind of boring. Yeah. And he just upset the dynamic. Uh, and I think now that he's gone, I think the show may benefit from that. So I'm kind of... There's just too more... many characters. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas you had the core four... And then CC was a side character. That made sense. That was right. You can, like especially in a twenty-minute sitcom, you like having four people, uh, people's story arcs juggling is enough. Let alone five. Um, one of the sitcoms, which is over now. How you met your mother? Nah. We talked about this uh, in, nah. our, in our sitcom finales. Uh, we end show. I detest it. Uh, and th- th- the thing is, I loved it. I loved that show so much because. Yeah. Uh, it, it just was so good at like creating long term story arcs, but that but like not only were they story arcs, but they were long term gags that paid off. Yeah, they dropped little hints at gags that they'd pay off like six episodes down the line, or sometimes seasons down the line. Recurring gags, uh, you know, setting setting things up and then as you say, knocking them down later. And, but now I hate it. But the thing, or or like basically, the episode seemed like it's one thing, and then looking back, it was actually different. Did the whole like kind of like actually this is what happened uh, and all those things that were strengths I, as the show went on became weaknesses because they, they crutches they went they relied on this over and over again again it went nine seasons yeah uh eight seasons nine seasons don't care i hate it uh but basically i think i i would genuinely say the early seasons are some of the best they're they're tremendous but i hate them now the content television <laughs> seriously point. that finale uh, like the last three seasons were all right you know, watchable. The, yeah, they lost stuff to. They ran out of stuff to do, and they were dragging out the end. But that last season and that season finale means I hate the show. It's stupid, Ken. They ruined everything. That's that's basically it. Because uh, going back to what we said earlier, because it was so commercially successful, they kept it going long past when it made sense to end it. Because they wanted to basically make more money and. Yeah. Even when it ended, they tried to make How I Met Your Dad, which totally fell on its face, thank yep. God. They dropped the pilot, no one picked it up. Um, you know, there's a bunch of other sitcoms. I think we've kind of covered the main ones. Uh, Two and a Half Men, I actually think it was a very solid show. Before, uh, I, BK, I like to call it, before Butcher. <laughs> In Paris, toward the end of Charlie Sheen, it wasn't a great show either. Well, Charlie Sheen was falling apart at the time, but uh, the, the early dynamic with the, the two brothers who are basically parenting a, a kid they're like the odd couple but they're brother and sister or brother and brother I should say yeah and uh, Charlie Sheen had some pretty 
pretty good one-liners in that show. It's an easy show to look down on because it's it's not the most sub- substance substantive substantive. There. Substantial. Sub substantive. Substan- words. Substantive feels like the word. Uh, words. words. The podcast <laughs> where we just stumble through words that we're not entirely sure are actual words. It it doesn't have much substance. That's what I'm going for. No. But eh, there's good there's good dick jokes. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sometimes you, sometimes good dick jokes are all you want out of a television Which show. Shane just doing innuendo the whole time. It works. If it works, it works. And yeah. He, and he was good at that. And he got too big for his boots. And that ended that. Um, controversial comment here as we wrap up sitcoms. There was a bunch of other ones on my list. Uh, Scrubs loved it. Yeah, buddy comedy basically. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle basically ha- uh, has a house show Hal, as far as yeah. I'm concerned basically Brian Cranston doing wacky things and being fantastic everyone thinks that uh, Frankie Muniz is the star of that show it's wrong it's, yeah. it's hell uh, 30 Rock basically never watched it a double act well, I'll get back to that because it's one of my favourite characters uh, going back to when we were kids Sabrina the Teenage Witch Keenan Kel very much on the formula of something happens gotta fix it basically yep teen uh, comedies works it works uh, but uh my what was my, the main point I was going to make there? Friends, friends, Gar. Friends. Gar doesn't like friends. I don't get friends. I've watched enough of Friends to know I really don't understand why people liked it. It's not funny. It's never funny. It's 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 one of those. It's one of those. I think it's comfort food television. Yeah, but I don't have an objection to laugh tracks on shows. Yeah. But when there's laugh tracks, and I'm like, what's even the joke? Yeah. It's not funny, Ken. I can appreciate the Big Bang Theory, which is one decent character and then everyone else around him. That's basically the crux of that show. Yeah. But Friends, I don't get it. I've never gotten it. Do you like Friends? I, I watch it, but I, I, it's very rare that I would laugh at it now that I think of it. Yeah, it's not a funny show. Maybe it's just a cast. The cast is very kind of attractive and... Oh, just staring at Jennifer Aniston, that's, that's what it does. No, but each person's like... I'm a Joey or I'm a Ross. Everybody can identify with the characters. And, and you know, they had kind of have an, had an idyllic lifestyle that maybe people wanted. Like Yeah, with their stupidly large uh, New York apartment yeah. that would cost far too much money than they could possibly afford. Especially for a waitress, as as, as Rachel was for quite a lot of the early yeah. episodes. And the fact that they seem to spend most of their day in a freaking cafe. I was on the, I was in Central Park. I was did, on the Friends set. Did you steal anything? I didn't because they would have kicked me out of the studio a <laughs> lot. But uh, it's still there now that you can get take a picture. Uh, I would say like uh, Friends is one of those things. It's kind of like the Big Bang Theory. It passes time. Yeah. And you watch it when nothing else is on. That's basically it. It's not a good show. It's a syndication show. It's not funny. Uh, I was going to go into British sitcoms, Gar. We can, we can maybe delve into that quickly. But uh, we're, we're going way over time. But yeah, anyway. there's stuff like Faulty Towers, which people... May not realise there's 10 episodes? Only 10 episodes. And uh, on a similar note, Mr. Bean, only like 13 episodes. Yeah, and I know British shows are known for their shorter runs, but like Faulty Towers became iconic. Yeah. Of 10 episodes. And do you think it became iconic because they only did 10 episodes? I don't know. It's like Father Ted had three seasons. So I think they had about 30 episodes. Yeah. And that became iconic as well. Yeah. Father Ted is... is uh, one of the biggest mistakes, basically our national broadcaster in Ireland is called RT, and they passed on Father Ted. Well, well they, they co-produced it in the end, didn't they? No, that was a different show. That was Mrs. Brown's Boys. They well, were... Yeah, which is a, a show people look down on. They got but... the rights to show it, but... Uh, and they, was... they still show it to this day. With the cooperation of, of Channel 4. If... Can... But it's weird, like an Irish, a, a quintessentially Irish sitcom 
had to go to the UK to become successful yeah. or get piloted. If if there is a thirty minute gap in RT schedule, no matter when, nine times out of ten, they will fill it with one of two things: one, reading in the ears, yeah. or two, Father Ted, depending on the time of day. Yeah, but uh, you know, Dermot Morgan's dead uh, nearly eighteen years now. Yeah, and uh, so, but but like Father Ted, I think focusing on Father Ted is one of those sitcoms that you know. Where if if you've seen it's, it's the same episode of Friends, for example, a certain amount of times, the the luster goes off it, and you really won't want to see it anymore. But or, or most sitcoms, but like I could watch any Father Ted episode over and over again. I still laugh. It's because it's extremely sharp and actually funny, unlike mm. Friends, which you'd get tired of after twenty or like three minutes of one episode because it's not funny. Faulty Towers. I think uh, uh, John Cleese decided he didn't want to do it anymore. He just said, "Nope, that's enough." Yeah. And it got. I suppose. What you want to do with a sitcom before we wrap up is leave them wanting more, and that's when people will remember it fondly. Yeah. And too often in America, especially, big business wins out. And Just get the nine seasons, ten seasons. Syndication, you know, rating slots, advertising money. Uh, you know, like, like stuff, shows like Keeping Up Appearances, One Foot in the Grave, uh, with Victor Maldry, who's one of the funniest characters on television. We might go back to him in the next yeah. second. Miranda, solid show. Three seasons, done. Yeah. They don't, like, uh, and they're short runs. They're like, you know, six, 12 episodes. Six to 12, yeah, usually. Uh, and that's, I think that's the key to success because, and then you do, and, and then like what they do is they'll end the run, but then they'll do the odd special at Christmas and, and stuff like yeah. that. And you see some, some American, like, uh, broadcasters taking that model a lot of mm. people do 13 episode seasons now yeah like game of thrones runs for 10 episodes a year it's, it's, it's it airs for about two or three months and then it's gone for the rest and people clamoring for more and that's what you want you want people wanting more not like is this still on like modern family was on really late last year in terms of into the summer and it's just like is this still going and yeah. like and that's not what you want you're gonna go like like doctor who is gonna end in four weeks and i'm, I'm gonna like counting the episodes like precious coins because i'm like <laughs> it's running out and i like that's what you want i'm I, and I, I literally be thinking about the next season until yeah comes. you'll get to christmas and then the christmas special airs and then it's another eight months until you have new doctor who again and there's bound to be a cliffhanger but uh as i said we are way over time uh we are going to continue our discussion on sitcoms after a quick break uh we're basically going to delve into uh focusing on the characters that make the shows we love so great do not press pause you're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Welcome back to the Weekend Show. As we all know, a good sitcom lives and dies by its characters. So we continue in our little sitcom theme, our foray into sitcoms, by talking about the characters we love and love to hate. Let's kick off again with Parkster Macgar because that's our wheelhouse. It has loads of good characters. I have a list here. I basically, basically what I've done here is I've gone through our it's a selection of our favorite shows, and what characters we love. Parkster Rec is a long list. Uh, some of them are shorter, but this one has yeah. has it all. Ron Swanson, Leslie Nope, Tom Haverford, Chris Traeger, Andy Dwyer, uh, April, uh, Donna, Jerry, <laughs> John Ralphio, Jerry, Larry, Gary, <laughs> Jerry, Larry, Gary, Gary, John Ralphio. Uh, Mona Lisa Ralphio. <laughs> John Ralphio. She's the worst. But uh, great ensemble cast and uh, uh, Ron Swanson, cultural phenomenon. Um, the Tammies. The Tammies. There's so many good characters in Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec just unearths characters. And Jam. Jam. 
Uh, one of the least successful Walking. characters was one of the people that left. Brian, Brian, uh, uh, Mark Brandanowitz. Mark, I, 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 More so. like Mark Brandanowitz, Ken. <laughs> I, I, I was like Brian. No, that's his second name. It sounds like his second name. Is he? He he fit the kind of cynical view of the show it started as. Yeah. But he didn't really work when the show evolved into something a little warmer. And lighthearted. Yeah. And he was kind of the, this kind of side romantic interest for Leslie and they moved on to Ben. Yeah. And then he was the side... Ben romantic, Wyatt. We forgot yeah, about Ben Wyatt. Ben Wyatt, indeed. He was the side uh, romantic interest for Anne for a while before she moved on to Chris. So and then he was just there. Yeah. Sitting there. We forgot the most important character in Parks and Rec, Ken. Okay. Little Sebastian. I've never loved a tiny horse more. Uh, one of the funniest moments in the entire show does come from Ben Wyatt. Yeah. Where his life is falling apart, so all he does is uh, make calzones and try to make a stop motion video. And and then uh, comes up with a super nerdy board game, yeah. the Cones of Dunshire. But he starts basically. He's like. He's like he's convinced that he's made this great music video, <laughs> yeah. and he starts it. And, and the music video is uh, the song is like "Then in the place where you live," and it stops. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the character gets up and walks like one step, and that's yeah. it. And he's yeah, showing it's like, it to Leslie. It's like, look. <laughs> I thought it was like, and he starts breaking down because he thought he'd done more, and that was his come to Jesus moment. Basically, I think the the show benefited from almost pairing off characters because you have Leslie. And his and her antithesis was Ron. Yeah. And eventually Ben White was her kind of uh, her kind of partner in crime. Uh, you have Tom Haverford and Donna. Yeah. Uh, you have Chris Traeger and, and Anne and and they're kind of yin and yang as well. Um, Andy and, and April. Uh, so, so you, like that literally when I started that sentence that only came into my head. So the, yeah, they kind of had character pairings that worked together. Yeah. Apparently you you had other ones because um like uh Chris and Ben would work together every so often they were yeah. original partners in crime exactly so they basically they gave they kind of kept it fresh by moving the characters in different circles with each other yeah uh but and then April's pure disdain of Anne so anytime they got together it was just like I hate you I hate you and like but she had a good progression from. Basically goth, and she hates everything. But and she slowly starts to care, but she kind of hates that she cares. Yeah. Even to to, to the very end, so it's kind of it's kind of. And she she funny. sticks with her hatred of Anne, even though uh, toward the end she kind of doesn't hate Anne, but she keeps up that facade till the very end. <laughs> exactly. Uh, probably the like I hate to say this, but probably the weakest character, and she came from the office as well. She played Karen Filippelli in the office. Yeah. Rashida Jones as as Anne, probably like probably the character I could. If I was to write someone off the show, and she did eventually, yeah, the they show, did. They got rid of her in Christ. Uh, I well, towards the end, but like I would have happily lost her. She she didn't add that much for me. Yeah, she was kind of the most grounded character. Yeah, she she didn't go wacky very often. But uh, uh, and and I think uh, Leslie started off wacky, but she kind of got more serious. But yeah, still was kind of wacky. So it was kind of wacky. Her love of binders and waffles and all things organizational. Exactly. So, wh- why why do you think Ron Swanson has taken over the internet? One-liners. All you need is one-liners, Ken. Good one-liners and you're in. Is it, like, the fact that he's, like, a man's man, do you think that makes the part of it? I, I, I think, like, 90% of it is Nick Offerman's delivery. Yeah. His kind of dry, deadpan delivery works pretty brilliantly. And his, like, no-sell face. He's just, like... <laughs> it's just face. 
Like I can just picture his kind of his kind of frowny face with yeah. the mustache. It's just yeah. like <laughs> works perfectly. Uh, is there anything else that needs to be said about Parks? And it's the best show ever. That's all that needs to be said. We're going to talk about it again in the next segment because I'm going to recommend an episode. But still, basically, uh, the reason we did this episode, Garrick and Gush, about Parks and Rec. Yeah, because I wanted to just do an episode of Parks and Rec, and Ken's like, "We'll do it if we talk about sitcoms in general." I'm like, fine. We don't want to like, cause like otherwise the podcast will be over right now because we talk about Parks and Rec. I could I could go on, but we won't. We'll move back onto the office. Characters in the office. Michael Scott. Michael Scott had some funny moments, even if they were mean. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No, I don't like, like Michael Scott. But he's such a good improviser, Steve Carell. Like he really. I does. like Steve Carell. I yeah. think Steve Carell is a funny person. I don't like Michael Scott. Do you remember his Rolodex system? Yeah. Where where Dwight tried to steal his uh his his clients, so he's like. He's like, I have a, co- a color-coded system. He's like, green means go ahead and don't say it. <laughs> Orange means aren't you glad he didn't say it? Uh, uh, I can't. Get, I don't. I, he's too mean. He's too mean. But but he did come come some full circle in the end. Yeah, like the Jim and Jim and Dwight pranking each other. But highlighted the show. When he left, do you think it was the same the same show? I don't think it was still the same show toward the end of when he was there. No, like, like you could see probably that he was wishing to move on to other things, and then when he did, they cycled through a few other characters. Yeah, the the most successful of which are, are Catherine Tate, who played Nellie Bertram, and uh, Robert California, played by James Spader. Uh, Robert California, I watch. If you want to watch some quotes as well, go watch a, a compilation of Robert California on. Who was basically a con man. Yeah. And like, and the funny thing is, you only figure that out at the very end. Yeah, it's just like he has no idea what he's doing, and, and he just makes off into the night. Uh, and like the funny thing is, like he he basically uses rhetoric to talk his way out of every situation, and you're and the funny thing is, as a as a viewer, you just kind of buy it, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, he's like, uh, and uh, and it's just ridiculous. But then at the end, you're like, wait a second, he was just playing them all along, and that's like basically he's just like. A con man that kind of basically pulls the wool over people's eyes until they figure it out and then he makes off. Uh, some very strong side characters, basically, who all had basically either really great kind of short gags or or scenarios, uh, especially Creed. Yeah. Creed Bratton. Who's just crazy. Uh, Creed, Creed has so many one-liners I couldn't even start. But like again, YouTube, there are compilations. Yeah, this, this is what YouTube is for, which is digging into one-liners from copious amounts of sitcoms. And gag reels. Yeah. Gag reels are great. And cat memes. Well, yeah. Cats in general. Cats, cat, cats came into their own in the internet age. Basically, I, there's millionaire cats now, but yeah. that's that's a whole other episode. <laughs> we should do an episode on millionaire cats. Uh, what's your favourite Creed line when I... I can't remember most of them. There's an episode of uh, Halloween where he walks in and he's covered in blood. And and then there's, there's just... You know when they do that kind of like, straight uh, to camera shot of where they interview them? Yeah. And he's like, it's Halloween. That is really good timing. <laughs> <laughs> Although my favorite Creed quote of all was, uh, "That wasn't a safe one." <laughs> Basically, Kelly, who's trying to uh, Kelly Kapoor, who's trying to do a diet, like Creed sells him a tapeworm, and then the last shot of the show is that wasn't a tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Jim and Dwight prank? Uh, oh, that's uh, that, that. Basically, the joy of the office was the dynamic between Jim and Dwight. And like they're like brothers who f- fight. They love each other, but they fight because they're brothers. And they 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 want you know obviously brothers are rivals. They all want to be the best. Uh, they come very nice full circle in the end where, uh, like Jim and 
as much as they've they've clashed over the years and he and Dwight Schrute is genuinely insane which we'll get back to in a minute you know they do love each other and they and he looks after them in the end which I think that was really nice yeah when he becomes manager uh, and he, he you know rather than keep Jim around even though he loves him like a brother he he sends him off for his dreams but um it's tough there's so many of them it has to be Asian Jim Asian oh Jim. Asian Jim where he convinces that uh, he convinces Dwight that Jim was Asian all along yeah and like uh, 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 the guy uh, guy comes in dresses uh, sits in Jim's chair and he's like you're not Jim he's like Jim like, can you have you seriously not noticed that I've been Asian this entire time <laughs> basically implying that he's a racist and then he's like if you're if, if you're jim then who's this and he picks up a photo and they've actually photoshopped asian jim into <laughs> into the family photo it's like one of, the, one of the best ones uh one of the simple ones and it was very quick where he replaces his suits with velcro so he's, <laughs> he's walking to the the office from the car park and jim just runs up and pulls all his clothes <laughs> off so he's in his underwear or he makes him think he's a spy on a secret the, mission the spy on the cia is, is my favorite one when he's up on the roof trying to <laughs> trying to to uh to uh con- like trying to kind of make contact or yeah complete his mission when he doesn't realize that jim's just pranking him this entire time uh see that was that was the highlight of the show for me michael scott if you just cut if you re-cut the office taking michael scott out of it it's like twice as good a show and basically dwight's uh blind ambition trying to be the 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 manager or trying to be assistant to this general manager yeah uh and basically rubs rubs jim up the wrong way he's just kind of doing the job because it pays the bills and he's he's kind of just coasting through life and then basically they clash because they're opposites and they, uh, but opposites attract we haven't really talked Arrested Development yet Ken we haven't Arrested Development which is basically a show full of memorable characters uh, Michael Bluth uh, I, I, I only mention him here because he's like the rock that ties everything yeah, together he's the straight man that just everything kind of revolves around and he's just there looking bemused at all of it and he becomes steadily crazier as the show goes on exactly he's sucked into his family's own craziness as much as he denies it he's exactly like that yeah because he, he at the start it's like how is such a reasonable person developed around such a wacky family but it's like no he's just as crazy too he just likes to think he's better than them yep uh joe who's probably the star of the show really. yep joe bluth hello darkness my old friend <laughs> he like uh he's uh He's an illusionist. He likes to call himself. Um, played by Will, Will Arnett, uh, who, who smashed it. Yeah, that, this is another cast that that essentially spawned a bunch of other people to star in sitcoms later. Yeah. Well, he started in a, a very unsuccessful sitcom later. But um, Well, he's been in about six of them. Neither <laughs> uh, here nor there. Uh, George Booth Sr., played by... Oh, gosh. His name was just in my head. Oh, I was just, in my head. I was just about to say his name, and I forgot it then. Uh uh, <laughs> okay, no. uh, Jessica Walter, who who played uh, Mrs. Bluth. Yeah, Jason Bateman has been the most successful. Yeah, making uh, feature films. Uh, I just think uh, again, it's just kind of dynamic of the, of the main cast. You're still trying to remember. I am. It's like guy in Transparent won Emmy for Transparent. Ah, it just nearly came out. It nearly came out. This is this this is our new podcast of trying to remember things that we have forgotten. We we're very well prepared. Yeah, I forgot to write down his name. Uh, basically, again, it's just like a, a kind of a cast of characters. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do a victory lap. <laughs> Pause podcast. Do victory lap. Uh, basically, any successes that come, I think the ones that we kind of gravitate to are the success, the ensemble, uh, like the family, like 
basically the straight man and the rest of the craziness flying around him. Yeah. Uh, one of the characters that people love, I really didn't like, was uh, George Michael. The didn't oh, say Michael Starr. Like he, he was kind of funny. Like he got into. See, he he was the kind of uh, actually sane one. Yeah. Where, where where Michael thought he was sane, George yeah. Michael was the actual sane one. So there is comedy in that, and it, and it does pay off in the most recent season where like, uh, where like Michael is shown to actually be exactly like his family. Yeah, and then there, there, there's Anne, better known as who <laughs> or her. Her. Yeah. <laughs> the, the my favorite gag in the fourth season is just when when uh Job and Anne are getting married. And there's just a giant her in the background. <laughs> yeah. But uh, tons of uh, guest characters in Arrested Development. Uh, my favorite of which was Willard Craft. Yep. Who played the, the secret uh, the, the secret investigator. Who, uh, who just keeps popping out of nowhere. Yep. Uh, his name is in later in the script, so I will remember it. Um, but uh, speaking of the ensemble guard community, basically... I wrote written down in the script here. Literally, everyone pulled their weight in that show to create the laugh. Yeah, like, it's it's the six main characters. Yeah, it's a table. Yeah, six. It's a table of six with Ken Young kind of in the background supporting. Yeah, and uh, 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 Jim Pelton as well. Jim Pelton. Jim Pelton. Dean Pelton. Dean Pelton. Dean Pelton. Jim Rash. There we Jim go. Rash. I mix I mix the character mix, and the the, uh, the actors' uh, names together. Uh, Jim Rash is Dean Pelton, kind of supporting. But all those guys, well, except Ken Young, who's kind of was always in the background where you wondered why are you actually here yeah the rest all pulled their weight yeah they just kind of came together like and again you, they kind of revolved around each other and they, yeah. they kind of got paired up in different uh, ways try and abbott basically uh, the way the desk <laughs> kind of went around yeah try and abbott and then there was annie and, and uh, shirley shirley ah oh, come on names ken names <laughs> It's been a long day. I got up at 6am for work. And just Chevy to... Chase just being racist and old. Yeah. <laughs> as, much, as much as Chevy Chase was maligned for, for being terrible to deal with on that set, he was the source of a lot of laughs in that show. He was. And he probably was the standout character for a long time. Especially in the in the first season where the show was more grounded. Yeah. It kind of revolved around Chevy Chase just saying stupidly racist things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, after he left, a little piece of it kind of went away. You know, and then uh, when Troy left, it's just... Like they tried to keep going, and uh, well, I thought they got very good guests. Uh, like Jonathan Banks was tremendous. Yeah, uh, like because uh, 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 he's known as that kind of really hired man actor, mm. whereas him doing comedy was great. And uh, Brewster was a good movie. Yeah, well. as well as John Oliver, who was a guest star in the first two seasons and then came back for season five. So uh, yeah, they they tried to keep it going, and they did. You know, it was still entertaining to a certain extent. I think the the last TV season really got a bit cynical and like. It was kind of like oh, you know, we're being cancelled, so it kind of. I thought I thought it took a little while to get going. Yeah. But I I thought toward the end it was worthwhile. They have to do the movie though. The Yahoo series lost a ton of money for yeah, Yahoo. Like 20... They gave it away for free, which I think was a mistake. Yeah. I know they were, they wanted to use it as a bit of a loss leader. I don't think it was ever intended to actually make money. Yeah. It was intended to have people go, oh look, we have this Yahoo streaming service. Come look at it. It was strong though. It it was a strong season. I thought. I thought that the replacement characters were good. You know, yep. uh, the gentleman who who just who basically was new, uh, Pierce. Yeah, David. Oh God. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You know, new Elroy, Pierce. Elroy, whatever his name was. Elroy something. Pachechnik. Pachechnik. Something uh, like that. Anyway, yep. Patrick Brewster, uh, basically, and and Dean, uh, the Dean, basically still doing his wacky 
business. Yeah, and the, the Dean became more of a kind of a focal character as the show went by as well. Yeah, he kind of became a recurring character, probably after he won the Oscar, basically. Yeah, but the problem the problem with the Dean was they made him, as I said earlier, they made him kind of a satire of himself. Yeah, too 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 self aware, I think. Yeah, whereas toward the, I think in season six he only wore one costume, which was it's like okay, you, you kind of grounded him a little more. Uh, gay Dean, <laughs> Gay Dean, Gay Dean, Gay Dean. Uh, Ken Young had a very good episode in that season as well, where he played a karate kid. That was yeah, that was, you know, so one of the few times he seemed actually to be there for a reason. Yeah. So just wrapping up, we have two more. Uh, Modern Family, which is the Phil Dunphy show. Yeah, basically. That's it. That's all we need to say about that. Yep. Uh, New Girl. Uh, basically, the only characters I care about that are Nick Miller and Winston Bishop. Particularly Nick Miller, who just yeah. who's a, a kind of a twenty-something-year-old curmudgeon who hates yeah, everything, exactly. and doesn't so, understand like, things. That's, that's kind of like, like the best sitcoms. Kind of are new takes on old tried and tested formulas, like Thirty Rock. Just speak about it briefly. Jack Donaghy and Liz Lemon are like a uh, like the classic odd couple, except they don't end up you know falling in love in the end, which is a bit contrived. Nick, imagine it, uh, Nick. Mudgeon, I was gonna say. Nick Mudgeon. <laughs> Nick Mudgeon. Nick Miller is a curmudgeon, but he's like before his time, and that's where the comedy comes from. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of curmudgeons, Garrett, wrapping up very quickly because we are way over time, and people don't listen to our long podcast. We found. Listen to us, please. Yeah, we're giving you more pure gold. You should love us giving you more. Uh, Victor Melju, one foot in the grave. I like uh, curmudgeons. Yeah. I just like people who hate things. There's, it's, I mean, it's just probably the best source of comedy in sitcoms where uh, where the guy is just like, ah, I hate everything. It's like yeah. Al, Al Bundy and Mario Children as well. And, and like eventually, like sometimes they, like especially when it comes to their family, they're fiercely defensive or, you know, they show moments of, of kindness. And like, and as well as being very funny, uh, you know, because they kind of, their curmudgeon ways get them in trouble. Because uh, they they refuse to back down. Same with Kirby and Tell's enthusiasm with uh, Larry David. Basically, the whole show is based on him being a dick <laughs> <laughs> and not compromising, and then or uh, speaking when he his mind, and then it just gets them into trouble. But also, when they do have those moments where they soften, it it, it creates the kind of emotional gravitas, which we all love. Yeah. But as I said, we are way over time, so. Uh, it's time again for another break. Coming up, we have a special sitcom edition of the world-famous Netflix. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You're listening to the Weekend Show. It's time again now for the Weekend Show Institution, that is Netflix. But this week, with a difference. Instead of varied picks from around the web, we are going to offer the very best episodes of our favorite sitcoms. Proof of what you're missing. A jumping in point, if you will. What's up first for you, Gar? Yeah, so basically the idea is if you want to test this show, you know, if you want an idea of whether this show is for you, this is kind of an episode to watch that should kind of capture everything that the show does, or at least does well, while also serving as kind of a jumping in point. Because uh, my first one is Parks and Recreation. Because while there are better episodes of Parks and Recreation than this, I think this is a perfect jumping in point for Parks and Rec. Uh, and that is episode 23 of season 2, The Master Plan. Which is the episode in which the Pawnee goes bankrupt. <laughs> I remember that episode. Basically, it's it's basically Leslie Knope's worst nightmare. Yeah, but Ron Swanson's dream. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, he's gleefully, like, like uh, basically uh, heralding the, the, the death of the witch where she's just trying to save things. Uh, like, like, basically, she's trying to stop the ship from sinking. And that's where, when uh, 
we have the the introduction of Ben Wyatt and Chris Drager. Yeah, because uh, the, the episode starts with Ron and Leslie going to a, a budget meeting, with a yearly budget meeting, where they cut the budget. And Ron is, is, is gleeful. He is overjoyed to be going in with his list of suggestions to slash the budget, because Ron is a libertarian who hates big government. Or as Leslie's like, no, I want to save everything. Everything's important. But yeah, it's it's the, the episode that kind of sets up what the show becomes for the next four seasons. Because it, it introduces Ben Wyatt and Chris Traeger. It, it actually introduces Natalie Portman's... Um, not Natalie Portman. Natalie uh, Gonzalez or Morales? Morales. Or Lucy. Yeah. Yeah, Natalie Morales. Natalie Portman would be a big guest star to get in. <laughs> Especially long term. Yeah, uh, Natalie Morales is Lucy, who, who doesn't become a recurring character. She comes back toward the end. But it starts her relationship with Tom. It, it starts Ben and Leslie's relationship. It starts Chris and Anne's relationship. It, it very much sets up the dynamic of the show that actually works very well for the next four seasons. So it's kind of like a show of two halves. Basically, there was the, 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 the basically the setting up period. And then the, this was the period yeah. where it hit its emotional height. And it kind of it took the direction that made it the most compelling for the next four years. I would agree, Gar. Yeah, because as I said, there, there are better episodes of Parks and Rec than this. But this is a very good jumping in point. Plus it introduces Ice Town with the best news uh, newspaper headline of all time. Ice Town costs Ice Clown his town crown. <laughs> <laughs> what more can you say than that? Guy? Yeah. Watch, watch Parks and Rec. Seriously, guys. Just watch Parks and Rec. Ken, uh, what's up for you? Uh, the Office. I'm going to give you an episode of The Office that you need to watch. That kind of sums up The Office. Uh, it's episode 11 and 12. It was an hour long special. So it's it's... It's uh, a, bit, uh, a bit of a treat for you. Ooh. Uh, from season seven called Classy Christmas. Uh, basically, uh, Michael Scott couldn't be happier when his, his love interest uh, take, uh, comes back due to uh, his hated enemy, Toby, the HR manager, yeah. taking a break. He bullied Toby for no reason. Then uh, Holly Flax, who, who, who he loves and wants to marry, comes back. And uh, but, uh, played by Amy Ryan. She's, uh, she's covering him. And uh, he basically... He's basically trying to get her back because she's been away for a while. And he, he's like excited because he thinks that they're going to pick up where they left off because there was an indication that they're going to have feelings for each other. And kind of it's one of those moments where Michael Scott gets taken down a peg, which is probably what you like. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Amy Ryan, the Amy Ryan character, kind of was the thing that finally grounded him. Exactly. So it takes him down a peg, but it sets him up to actually become the well, more well-rounded character that actually made him less hateable. Stupid. As, as Garrett would say it in, in the later episodes. It's also one of the one times uh, when Dwight Schrute gets the better of Jim. Uh, and I, thought, I think that's kind of interesting because you're going to see a lot of, of Jim get the, the better of Dwight. But uh, there's a snow fight, uh, snowball fight, I should say, that breaks out and it's, it, it carries on throughout the episode. And I think it's one, it's one of the, the, the funnier uh, exchanges between Jim and Dwight. Uh, just because it, again, it kind of harkens back. It kind of, uh, kind of harkens back to the fact that, you know, at the core of it, basically they're 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 quarreling brothers and yeah. trying to one up each other. So Michael forces Pam to plan a second Christmas party on the day Holly returns to, to Scranton, Scranton, Pennsylvania, where the office is set. Real uh, place. Yeah. So Unlike Pawnee, Indiana, which is not a real place. The whole office is less than enthusiastic. So it's just a, basically the whole this charade playing out when he's trying to win her heart and. It, it, it ends in tears so it's kind of a classic caper that's the that's the office season seven episode 11 and 12 classic christmas uh one hour special available on netflix netflix see netflix is so inceptive that you can't help but say it it's our netflix on netflix
Yeah. I think all these shows are on Netflix. Probably. Or at least some sort of Netflix. Garrett, your second? Uh, Community is, is... The first season of Community was much more grounded than the show it became. It was very much just a, a community college sitcom where these kind of wacky people went to classes and, and sat around a study table and talked and shouted at each other more often than not. But the first time, besides the Chicken Fingers episode, which was at least relatively grounded, the first time it went like full spectacle, full concept episode was season one, episode 23, Modern Warfare. It's uh, a game of paintball breaks out across all of campus with basically if you're shot, you lose. Uh, what was the prize again? Oh, oh, you got to pick your classes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to pick your classes the next year, which was the prize. So you could set up all your classes for one day and then you leave. Yeah, which which was a very... That was Jeff Winger's inspiration. Jeff Winger, yeah. And they went full action film spoof. Uh, like uh, Die Hard, Rambo... Commando, GI Joe, yeah, GI Joe, all of all of these, all of these action films that you love, they they spoofed pretty much everything about them, and it, it was kind of a sign of what the show eventually went on to become, like all of those concept episodes, like the video game episode or Blankets versus Forts, or uh, more paintball and more paintball again, uh, stop motion, the stop motion Christmas episode, which is another one you should watch, but that's yeah. neither here nor there, uh, puppets, GI Joe, alternate universes, all that kind of stuff. Was this was kind of the first episode? This was kind of tested the waters, and the concept episodes, while maybe at the end became a bit of a crutch as well. Yeah, uh, some of their strongest stuff is in terms of because of, of... they just abandoned format. Yeah, Th- that's what sitcoms tend generally avoid doing. Yeah. They desperately avoid abandoning the format. They stick to very regimented, traditional kind of a uh, formula that they follow over and over again. Or is this just? threw the formula out the window and said, let's do a giant game of paintball. That's uh, Modern Warfare Season 1, Episode 23 of Community. Up next for me is Arrested Development, Gary. It's, it's Arrested Development. It's Arrested Development. Ron Howard wasn't meant to actually do that narration, was he? Uh, well, he stood in for the pilot and then it just worked. So. Yeah, it worked. Uh, it's Season 2, Episode 3 called Amigos. Uh, basically centres around crack P.I. Gene Barajan. <laughs> that was the best part of Jean Parmesan that she never realised that it was him he was a master disguise and Jessica Walter aka Mrs. Blute yeah uh, basically um, it was obvious it was him every time but she was like because <laughs> <laughs> she never recognised him basically uh, they had uh, they, they discovered uh, he discovers that George uh, Blute Sr. has fled to Mexico so Michael and George Michael uh, crossed the border to bring him home uh, followed by Ice the Bounty Hunter, obviously uh, a play on uh, uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, uh, basically a giant uh, rippling muscled black guy. Uh, oh, and her. Her? Her. Who? Her. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's a quote from the episode. Michael, Anne's here? George Michael, yeah, I invited her. You said you wanted to spend more time with her. You said I was being an Anne hog. <laughs> Michael, Anne Hogg's coming? Because <laughs> Michael had total disdain for Anne. Yeah. And he basically forgot she existed more often than not. I think it's disdain. He just like totally didn't care for her whatsoever. Like, who? <laughs> uh, Job naturally feeling left out. Because he's basically, he's a jealous child is what his character is. Yeah. Uh, heads out to Mexico as well and discovers that his chicken dance is a regional mating call for homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the chicken dance from, from Arrested Development. Uh, Have any of you people even seen a chicken? Yeah, I was going to say, it, it gave birth to one of the show's best gags. Basically, the Blutes are so entitled 
and detached from real life that none of them know what a chicken sounds yeah. like. <laughs> There's a scene where they all do chicken impressions and they're dancing around the room, clapping their hands, and it is brilliant. Uh, basically, they, they, the, the, the hunt uh, wouldn't be complete without Buster as uh, getting completely lost between the cracks. As usual, he kind of just goes off on his own adventure due to his obliviousness. Thinks he's in Mexico, but he's only really in the maid Lupe's house. Yeah. So he's like, he thinks he's been transported to Mexico, <laughs> but he's just in, he's just downtown basically. So I think it's just, uh, you know, a, bu- a bunch of comedic set pieces that kind of really tells you what, uh, what Arrested Development is all about. Uh, strong, strong set pieces, as I said, strong uh, interactions between the characters and just really strong gags. Which is all there. It's all our Arrested Development is. Yeah, it seems it seems like undermining it, but no, it's, it's brilliant. It's all you want. Uh, my final pick. I was going to pick Sports Night, which is Aaron Sorkin's comedy, but I I actually watched started watching a show yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said, why not? Let's go with that. It is Aziz Sansari's new Netflix show, Master of None, yeah. where Aziz Sansari plays uh, Dev Shaw, an Indian actor and romantic struggler, where he's living life as as a he's. This particular episode where he's he's typecast as Indian, so he's he goes into an audition for like an Indian cab driver, and he yeah. just does his regular voice. It's like, can you do an accent? <laughs> so it's him dealing with uh, being an Indian in Hollywood, and then his his kind of romantic woes that go around that. Uh, and the the best thing about it is he's basically playing Tom Haverford. Nice. Which is is what uh, you see is it's what Parks and Rec was. It was uh, Aziz Ansari playing kind of a goofy version of himself. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that you'd see more of that character in a show that he is executive producing and writing a lot of. Yeah. Uh, the particular episode I'm recommending is season one, episode two, Parents, which uh, involves, because uh, him and his, his friend are immigrants. Uh, he's an Indian immigrant. His friend is uh, an Asian immigrant. So Indians are Asians too. Either way. Um, where they take their parents out for dinner because they realize they don't appreciate what their parents went through having to struggle all the way to get to America and give them a, a, a nice, happy life. The 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 highlight of it is that uh, Aziz Ansari's parents are played by his real parents. Are they actually good actors? They're good enough actors, and that's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah. Fatima and Shukath. Uh, and that, that's kind of the charm, where you, it's like, oh, it's his own parents. Yeah, just kind of playing themselves yeah they, they, they have a kind of a, an authenticity to them but uh it's slightly better than the, the the actual pilot episode which is the reason i recommend you if you're going to give it a go give this episode a go as opposed to the pilot there's a particular scene where he is in a call co- he he gets a call back for an audition but the why he has to do the interview over skype but the wi-fi in his house is down so he goes to a coffee shop and he does the whole audition in the coffee shop and it's for like a zombie film where like a virus outbreak and he has to to go like full hammy. Oh, the virus has broken out in a coffee shop full of people. <laughs> and it's great. So yeah, give it a go. I've only actually watched four episodes, so it might get terrible, but it's got very good reviews. So I assume it doesn't get terrible. That's Master of None, season one, episode two, Parents. Rodney and Outcare, I have a episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine for you. Da-da-da-da-da. Season one, episode six, Halloween. Uh, it's basically the first of the very famous and very uh, popular Halloween heist episodes. Yep, they've done one every season. Uh, so far, I think this is going to be the last one. I think they're going to... You would think so. You would think so. But, may, you know, uh, they claim it's going to be the last one because it's, it's maybe getting a bit thin now. But uh, yeah. uh, they're, 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 this was the first one and by, by far the best. Yeah. Uh, basically, on Halloween, Halloween night, a busy time, 
of any of the year. For, oh, sorry. Basically, on Halloween night, a busy time of the year for the precinct, a- Amy Santiago, who hates the holiday, is not happy that she has to wear a costume and go undercover on the street with Charles. Uh, meanwhile, at the precinct, Jake bets Ho- Captain Holt, who's played by Andre Brower, one of the best. Brilliant. We didn't. We didn't actually. I forgot. We forgot to talk about uh, Brooklyn Nine characters, but Andre Brower's Captain Holt and his utterly brilliant deadpan delivery makes makes Brooklyn Nine Nine a delight. It's like the perfect foil for the wacky. Uh, Peralta who's yeah. played by uh, Andy Samberg Andy Samberg I totally forgot for a second I forget na- names are just, like I think when you're tired names are the first thing to go out of your brain or What's something the sign? you're going senile and losing your mind basically uh, he, he bets him he can steal his me- medal of valor by uh, by midnight which leads to, uh, to bring out his own costumes you know he's like getting in disguise trying to you know find a way into his office to get the, the medal uh, and he says if he can steal the medal from Holt he must declare that he's an amazing detective slash genius uh, but if he can't steal the medal, he will do all Holt's Halloween paperwork. Yeah, so basically it's those two trying to outfox each other. And, you know, as I said, they're the perfect foil for each other. Uh, all the all the, the, the best uh, supporting characters are, are involved. Uh, so it, uh, and it's an episode you can watch by itself without spoiling major spotlight uh, yeah. plot lines as well. Uh, so it's kind of a good spot to jump in on. That's what I was trying to say. So I mixed it up again. Uh, we're sorry. We're sorry of all, of all days to to have ourselves tongue-tied it's today when doing a podcast where we yeah. have to talk poor ken is at the work this morning so yeah uh... yeah you know we got there <laughs> well I, th- I think that brings an end to another edition of net picks i think we can all agree that it's been a roaring success as well as the entire episode yeah it's uh, been a brilliant episode uh, more inspired picks next week sourced locally using ethical methods it's called the internet <laughs> One last break coming your way before we come back to sign off. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Okay, sitcom addicts, that's our show for another week. Thank you for taking the time to click play or download on the podcast. You can find a new episode every Sunday at soundcloud.com forward slash the weekend show. And you can also find us on iTunes and YouTube. If you like the show, why not give us an old review on the iTunes? It helps. Yeah. Say we're great. Well, it helps if you give us a good review. If you have a bad review, keep it to yourself. Uh, if you do write us, happen to write us a review, we will give you a part in the pilot of our sitcom about two brothers who start a podcast. I'm sure it will be riveting. Comedic gold. Yeah. You can reach out to us at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK. And as always, where can they find us on Twitter there? Uh, at TWSKK. Our theme music is by the very talented Mr. John. And until next time, say goodbye, girl. Bye-bye. Take it easy, everybody.